you have your Bibles, uh, turn your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. On, on May 22nd, 2020, our president declared that churches are essential. Then late Friday night, the Ninth Circuit Court, which is generally known as the most left-wing and anti-bubble court in the nation, ruled two to one in favor of Governor Newsom's stay-at-home order, rejecting the president's order to allow religious services to proceed on May 24th. But on May 25th, the governor issued uh, guidelines for churches uh, that churches can reopen at 25% capacity and at no more than 100 people per service. And the one thing I asked myself is what I missed the most, the first thing that came to my mind is the word fellowship. And it comes from the Greek word koinonia. Um, and in the New Testament, it often means sharing or close association or mutual participation. Then the second thing I ask myself as we regather together as a church, what would fellowship look like for us post-COVID? And, and, and I pray to God that it will be different. But before we do that, would you pray with me? Our, our gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we uh, want to say thank you that we even have this possibility of gathering together uh, as a church, God, as a body of Christ. God, we pray for those uh, churches around the world, especially in China, God, who's not even able to meet like we could even meet right now. But right now, Lord, we pray for the state of Minnesota. Uh, we pray, oh, Lord, for um, for the state, God, for peace. We pray for uh, your sovereign hand over it, that nobody will die and, and that this riot will stop. But God, God, it draws us near, O oh Lord, to our desire, O oh Lord, for you to put this world back in order. And, and Lord Jesus, we even pray for our own city, Lord, that there will be a peaceful riot in our city. But Lord, it will also be peaceful. God, in the, in the midst of this, God, show us your grace, show us your mercy. And God, I pray, O oh Lord, for those who are listening to us this morning, God, on Facebook or on YouTube, God, just want to say, O oh Lord, that we miss them, and we can't wait to be with them. And God, we praise in your name. Amen. The book of Hebrews uh, was written to Jewish believers who were in danger or at risk of turning their backs from the Christian faith and going back to their old ways of Judaism, meaning they're about to reject Jesus Christ and his offer of salvation because they were being persecuted. Uh, so picking up a verse or two from Hebrews 10 is really, really difficult. Because of the richness of, of what the writer said in the first 23 verses, where he talks about that Jesus is better, where he talks about how he prayed, paid for our sins and how he has entered into the holy place with his blood. And as a result, we can now also enter into that holy place. And the curtain has been torn in two. We have access to God. We can draw near to God. If you have our app, you could take notes actually in our app. Um, and let me give you our three points this morning. The command, the reason, and then the incentive. In verse 25a, it's a command. It tells us not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Here the writer gives an imperative command not to neglect our meeting together. Meaning not to avoid worshiping together, not to avoid gathering together. Nine weeks ago, and I realized I, that 
due to the coronavirus, not intentionally, of course, we couldn't meet together. And, and I realized that I could not live without the church. I could not live without the fellowship of the church. I can't live without the fellowship of the saints. It was a lifeline for me and I believe for most of you. If you just go back for me just a little bit to verse 19 of chapter 10, the writer says, therefore, brothers, therefore, brothers. It's in a plural form. That's a group of people, a bunch of people, not individuals, regularly meeting together. And then when we look at verse 22 and verse 23 and verse 24, we will see this. Let us draw near with a true heart. Let us hold fast. And now in here, verse 24, let us consider. So the phrase let us is mentioned three times. It means us, the church. The church is always a reference to people, not a place, not a building. We did not stop being the church when COVID-19 arrived. We just did it differently. So that's why we don't reopen the church. We regather the church. And back, in, back then in Jerusalem, if, if you were converted to Christ, you would lose your job because the jobs were handled and controlled by the Sadducees. They controlled employment of the city. So you had believers losing their jobs. You had believers being socially um, ostracized and pressured. And so the new Christians are, were alone, and, and the church became their new family whom they could count on. And I pray as we regather Watermark Fellowship Church that we will be also a, become a family again that we could count on each other. See, a computer or social media cannot do that for you. A podcast cannot do that for you. It is the church of Jesus Christ that should do that for you. We live in a culture that we can connect instantaneously on our devices. And, and that is a good thing to some degree. I took advantage of it through Zoom and Skype during the pandemic, but still not fellowship. Meeting together is what Christians do. This is what we're made for. So for the past nine weeks, we were able to watch the service, and, and I thank God for that technology. However, the same technology can be a blessing as caused us to be isolated because we're just interacting with a screen and not with one another. I was not gathering together with you. We were not gathering together. And it, it was a good for, it's good for a quick fix, but it should not be an ongoing practice. It's not how God designed the church to be. You cannot download an app called the Fellowship app. Or you cannot download on your computer a, a software called Intimacy 3.0. It does not work that way. The church works that way because we, when we fellowship with each other. Through the stay-in-home order, I discovered that Watermark Fellowship Church is a wonderful faith family. This morning, I want to tell you, welcome home. We're, we're glad you are part of the family. Let us live life together. This, this spiritual family will, will get us through the difficulties of life. It will get us through this pandemic. Apparently, some members of the Hebrew church to whom this epistle was written was showing disregard or, or neglect for attending the church. So they did so willfully by isolating themselves from the fellowship. They, they made it a habit not to go to church. It was no longer a joy for them to be in a church. Here at Watermark Church, we want to see people find God. This is why we gather. That's why we invite others on Sunday so that they can hear the gospel. But also, they enjoy the fellowship of the saints. 
How many of you heard of a spiritual epidemic called Morbus Sabbaticus? Okay, in, in layman's terms, it is known as the Sunday morning sickness. The symptoms are quite interesting. It never interferes with appetite or affects the eyes. Watching television seems to help the victim. The only symptom is that you cannot get up and go to church. Here's what's strange. You usually do not feel it on Saturday. It only hits when Sunday morning comes. And it never lasts more than 24 hours. About the time Sunday morning services are over, the patient feels better. Monday morning, the patient is able to get back to work. But it was a way of striking again on the next Sunday. And after a few weekly attacks, it may become chronic. This is someone who suffers from morbus sabbaticus. Let me tell you that you need to ask the great physician Jesus to heal you today. And once and for all, from this dreaded disease that can strike a death blow to our faith and our walk with Christ. John Stott says, one of the first indication of a lack of love towards God is, is, and, and the neighbor is for the Christians to stay away from the worship services. Forsaking the mutual obligation of attending these meetings and display the symptoms of selfishness and self-centeredness. Uh, during this pandemic, we understand if you, if you still feel fearful, we want you to stay home. We, we want you to feel safe and we want you to make the wise decision for yourself. Uh, and, and come when you feel safe. Come and we pray for you that you will find courage in this in the coming weeks. But I want to encourage you to see the church with this perspective. One, if you're not plugged into a church, commit yourself to the church. Let, let me encourage you to do that as soon as possible. And then in that church that you are part of, go there regularly. Gather together with the people of God. Be encouraged. Second point, the reason why we regather. This is the reason. And look at verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another. The first thing the writer says is consider the verb means to perceive clearly, understand fully, and consider closely. It's the same word used in Hebrews 3.1, which states, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostles and the high priest of our confession. So just as we are to always be thinking about Jesus, as we are always to be focusing on Jesus, we are also to focus and thinking about one another. We're to set our minds on each other. The writer wants us to consider how many of, of us consider each other on a daily basis. You know, we're so busy sometimes with, with taking care of me and, and, and myself and, and, and I. Right? That, that when God asked Cain, where is your brother? And, and Cain's response is, what? Am I my brother's keeper? And I want to tell you, you are. You are your brother's keeper. And we need to think in this manner. Because it's not going to be easy to be someone's brother's keeper. You need, it needs time. It needs planning. It needs strategy. And if it isn't one of, the, of those spur of the moment, spontaneous off the top of your head, it's one of those deliberate action on our part to stir one another to what? And we'll get to that point. The second thing the writer says that we are to show how to stir up. Meaning, how can I provoke you? How can I irritate you in a good way? Okay? And, and the point here is, how can I get into your life? How, I need to study you. I need to find ways to provoke you in a good sense of the word. 
Let's see how I can be inventive in how to stir you. Don't approach church with this consumer mindset as most people do, but approach the church seeking how you can stir up others. Such strength cannot be done in a distance. It's just impossible. Do you see who need to be put on our focus? The, the Bible says continually that we are to focus on Christ, looking unto Him, the finisher and author of our faith. Yes, but we are also called to focus on one another. The great commandment says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others. There's nowhere in that passage that says love yourself, because that's already given that we love ourselves. This means we need to consider their needs, their circumstances, uh, their concerns, their illnesses, their blessings, their weaknesses, their temptation, their family, their heartaches, their job situation, and anything else relevant and important in their lives. Do you know that there are more than 50 one another commands in the Bible? 50. 50 times the Bible says, care for one another, serve one another, encourage one another. All of that are all one another's that we need to exercise to each other. So instead of asking, who's going to minister to me? We need to ask, to whom does the Lord want me to serve? And once you figure out who needs your service, you make time. You plan it out. As Christians, we're never meant to experience the Christian life alone, but rather in a community with each other. Many aspects of the Christian life just cannot be put into practice on our own. Impossible. So there's three things here I want to share with you. The first, this is how we stir one another up. Three things. One, to love one another. It says here, Hebrews 24, see, to love. Here the writer of the Hebrews tells us the first reason why we gather as a church is to love. As Christians, we are to provoke one another to love. Back in chapter 6, verse 10, tells us of the love that they have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. See, these Christians who were at risk of going back to Judaism, the writer said, don't do that. Don't stop loving each other, even in the midst of persecution. See, this love is, that is not self-seeking, a love whose paradigm is the cross. See, if we are to love one another the way the Bible wants us to love one another, it has to be in the paradigm of the cross. We have to look at the cross. And, and the writer is telling them, don't abandon this practice of loving others, even in the midst of it. See, when I look at the cross, I look at it this way. God loved me when he could have easily given up on me. God continued to love me. God did not stop. It was not self-seeking. It was agape. Because that's how we need to love each other in the paradigm of the cross. When we and I realize how much God loved us, then we sometimes, then we could realize how much we need to love each other. Paul illustrates this point in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing. Actually, the word nothing is a very radical word uh, because it doesn't give us any room to, to, to do anything, really. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Do you see that point where Paul was making? Count others more significant? Put someone's interests over yours? The writer of the Hebrews also shows that this love is the, great, is the greatest because it reaches out to others. This is the love that reaches out to others. See, love is, is communal. And love extends to God and one's neighbor. We exist as a church to love God and, and to love others by making disciples. That's why we exist. 
If you turn your Bibles with me or, or just look it up, 1 John 3, 14. He says, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. If you really want to know if you're a Christian, if you want to know if you're a follower of Christ, you need to look like your love life. You need to look at inside of you, how do I love others? Because only then you will know if you're a Christian. Only then you will know you're a follower of Christ. That's how the way we will know that we have passed out of death, that we've been transformed from the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of light by our love. This is how one knows sure that one is a follower of Christ. If you look at John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You want to know if you're a Christian? If you want people to know that you're a Christian, love. That's what it says. They will know. They will know if you are for reals or they will know if you are a fake by your love. In, in this way, we make Christ look good when we love other people. True Christian love will not only lead you to attend and participate in corporate worship, it will also lead you to prayerfully consider the needs, the growth, and the concern of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Even when you're not physically together, which we did for nine weeks. You know, isn't it true that um, you don't appreciate something until you lose it? And, um, and I found that true in the last nine weeks. I, I didn't appreciate the church as much as I appreciate the church now. Even as we gather in this format. Um, I miss being here on Sunday. You know, I, I didn't like that guy preaching on the screen. You know, just imagine me, you know, I... I come down in the morning um, before service, and we'll get together as a family, and I watch myself. You know how awful that is to watch yourself? You know, I want to take a piece of rock and just like, oh, hit that screen. <laughs> right? I go, all the mistakes I made, oh, how could you see that? And then I have four commentators right next to me. Yeah, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> you should have said it this way. Right? And I'm so glad that we could regather again. And, and, and I want to tell you, this is a privilege. It, it's a privilege that we get to love each other. It's a gift. And, and sadly, we missed it if we don't love each other. We missed it when we don't exercise this. We miss it when we don't practice love. So the second thing that he says, not only are you to love one another, you are to serve one another. Look at verse 24, verse 8, uh, and good works. Next, the writer tells us the second reason why we gather as a church is to serve each other. Paul's language in Galatians chapter 5, 13, 14, love this, addresses the idea of serving one another through the lens of the gospel. Through the lens of the gospel that we are been freed by Christ. See, at the cross, Jesus freed us from the bondage of sin. He freed us. We are free. We're no longer condemned. We've been bailed out. Right? So, so Paul says, for you were called to freedom. Brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If simply put, we are to love and serve one another because we have been first loved, because we've been first served by Christ. What, what freedom do we have? That because Christ freed us, now we are free to serve. 
He says, do not use this freedom as an opportunity to do whatever you want, but use this opportunity to serve other people. Paul teaches the same thing in, in Corinthians chapter 12. In, in this text, he explains that all of us have this spiritual gift that comes from the Spirit. But these gifts are given to serve a common good, to serve each other. He was reminding the Galatians here of the same principle, that we are free so that we, may, so that we can love others. Do you know that's how we say thank you to Christ? How many times have you seen yourself, thank you God, thank you God, thank you God. Yes, it's good to thank God. But the best way to thank God is by serving others. Because that's how he did it. Let me show you real quickly four ways to serve others on a daily basis. Practice daily gratitude. Psalms 11 verse 2 says, serve the Lord with gladness. The key to serving well is serving with a grateful and a joyful heart. When you and I wake up in the morning and say, I am thankful to God. I am grateful for my life. And that produces this joy inside of you that you can practice daily gratitude. Number two, commit to a Sabbath. Uh, many of us don't like to take rest, but rest is commanded for us in the Bible. Because we are so much more effective in our service when we are served by doing something that when we are well rested. And, and what I mean by this is that tired people are not patient. Tired people are not kind. Tired people are, do not have self-control. Tired people are not joyful. They are rude and in a hurry and overwhelmed. So if we want to be capable of serving others well, then we have to take God's command and take a Sabbath. Because when you're rested, then you are prepared to serve somebody else. But when you're tired, isn't it hard to, to serve someone? <laughs> right? With joy? Right? Number three, serving using your spiritual gifts. We are so much more effective in our service when we are serving by doing something we already love and equipped to do. When we serve others with our God-given talents, our service feels a little more like you're just doing it, what you already love to do. You're enjoying it. So if you aren't sure what your talents or your passions are, take some time to reflect on what gets you most excited in life, what gets you fired up. Ask those who know you best, where do I shine the brightest? And then serve in that capacity. See, none of us are, are, are made to serve the same. We're... God has given us diversities of gifts, and we need to use that, those gifts. Number four, serve in the context of community. You know, I love Acts chapter 4 because uh, it talks about one heart and, and one soul and, and one mind. See, the early church practiced this kind of service one to another. That's why nobody ever had a need. That's why it says here, no one had a need. When, when someone is needs, someone will sell a piece of land so they can fulfill the need of others. So that anytime we start giving really on all, our own, our energy drains very fast, doesn't it? Right? And, but when we serve in a team, it's more, more enjoyable. Because we don't feel alone. The early church serve each other in the context of the community. We, we need others to pour back into us words of love and encouragement. And see, when our tanks are getting empty, and, and we do, when, when you serve alone and you give it everything you got, you start losing gas. Your, your tank becomes empty. And when that tank is empty, you can no longer serve. 
That's why I want you to welcome encouragement, which is, becomes our next one. I want you to welcome people's praises sometimes. Of course, give glory to God, but also take it. It's okay to say you're welcome. It's okay to say thank you because that's how we are made. We are made to be an encouragement and to be encouraged. Letter C2, not only are we called to love one another, we are also called to what? To serve one another. But next thing, we're called to encourage one another. It says here, but encouraging one another and all the more. Lastly, the writer tells us the reason we are regathering is to encourage one another. The Greek word has the idea of coming to the aid or, or assisting someone else. Uh, when I find myself feeling overwhelmed and discouraged, I, I get a text from someone and, and, and just tells me, I appreciate all that you do. And it just brings me back up. And uh, last Sunday, I, I received a, a kind note of encouragement from a friend over text. And um, it was only about three sentences long, but, but the Lord used it to serve some much-needed strength in my soul. Um, and I want to tell you, even pastors get tired. Even pastors get discouraged. Okay, um, and, and all of us get to a point of we're discouraged and, and, and we feel empty. And, and that's when we need other, each other to encourage each other. Um, you know, this last nine weeks, I've, I've gone close to, um, to, to Paul. And, and, and I always receive an encouragement from him every Sunday. And he, he's really so kind. And he just brings me to say, okay, okay I need that strength in my soul. And about a few weeks ago, I received from Lisa uh, um, also an encouragement. It felt so good. You know, because uh, when we record, when we pre-record the service, I feel like so awful after that. Oh, I can't believe people will watch that. You know, and, and I received an encouragement. Oh, it wasn't so bad. My kids were wrong. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and it was just so good. So in, in one sense, uh, it, it led me to reading passages and passages of Scripture about the subject of encouragement. And, and I am just got struck by how vital this expression of love is for God's people, how much we need it. See, in one sense, encouragement is like oxygen in the life of a church. It keeps the heart beating and, and the mind clear and the hands inspired to serve. Encouragement is so important to the church that God does not merely recommend it. He explicitly commands it. Mark Twain said, I can live for a week of one good compliment. William James, the father of modern psychology, said, the deepest principle in human nature is the craving to be appreciated. George Adams, encouragement is the oxygen of the soul. The Japanese proverb says, one kind word can warm three winter months. That's how much we need encouragement. In John 16, what an amazing promise from the Lord. Jesus warned that in this world you will have trouble, which he then followed with a much-needed encouragement. He says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, regardless of the tribulation that you and I go through, God said, I have overcome the world, and you are an overcomer, therefore you will overcome the world. We live in a broken world where everything calls us towards selfishness and despair. Sin steals our joy, our bodies break down, our plans falter, our dreams die, our resolves weaken, and our perspective dims, but we are promised suffering and persecution and trials of various kinds in this world, but God said, take heart. I have overcome the world. 
So when encouragement is absent from the life of the church, people will feel unloved, unimportant, useless, and forgotten. And, and I just want to tell you, I, I miss you all so much. And I want to tell you that you are loved and you are important, and that you are useful, and you are not forgotten. That you are valued, and that you are precious to this church, and you are precious to God. The writer of the Hebrews tells us in 3.13, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, God knows his people are in need of grace. You need grace. I need grace. Every one of us needs grace. So he calls us to encourage each other every day until his son returns. Biblical encouragement is not focused on complimenting someone's haircut or, or, or telling them how good their homemade salsa tastes or their spicy chicken. That kind of encouragement is important. But the encouragement the Bible refers to is explicitly Christian encouragement that points out evidence of grace in one another's life to help them see that God is using them. That's the kind of encouragement that we need. See, this world will bring you down. And we need, we need each other. And, and Christians need to be the greater encouragement. You know, I said in the first service that um, I don't agree with anything Joel Osteen say. Okay? But one thing I love about Joel Osteen is his smile. Right? He always makes you feel good, doesn't he? Like he goes on camera and he preaches. Right? That's what he does. Right? Isn't it encouraging that someone actually smiling? You know, when he actually says, Jesus loves you, I agree with him on that. He actually does it with a smile. But so many people say, Jesus loves you. No, Jesus loves you. He does. And we have to do it with a smile because it's true. Isn't it? Right? So when you see Joel Osteen tonight, Look for the smile. Right? And the church needs to be smiling. Church needs to be encouraged. The New Testament reveals that encouragement was a regular part of the early church. It, it's their, it was their lifeline. See, encouragement is, is a fundamental to the Christian faith. We need this because everyone is having a hard time. There is so much despair in our world due to this pandemic. I do not have time this morning to share with you uh, ways to grow in being an encouragement to others. So I want you to look this week on our Facebook and our YouTube channel as I share with you 10 ways how we can practice the gift of encouragement. And I'm going to tell you now, you have this gift, all of you. All of you have the gift of encouragement. But we have to decide to use it. Will you choose this morning to be an encourager? Will you choose this morning... To say, I will be a Barnabas to someone. See, Paul, who was a persecutor in the church, right? Someone needed to have his back. When the, when the Christians were afraid to take him in, it was Barnabas who stood up and said, he's going to be okay. He's going to be an encouraging brother to you. Watch. And at some point in our lives, we need that. We need someone like Barnabas. Will you be a Barnabas to somebody else? But there's one thing I want to discourage you. I want to discourage you to see the church with this perspective. How can I be served by this church? Or how can I go and attend the programs and have my needs, my needs met? Don't go to church like that. Will you go to church saying, God, what can I give? How can I love? How can I serve? How can I encourage? 
Instead of saying, I want to go to church, love me, serve me, encourage me. If that is your perspective of church, you're going to be disappointed. Although we are commanded. See, when we love and when we serve, when we encourage, that's when we feel good. Not so much when I'm expecting to be loved and, and serve and encourage. I'm, I feel love because I can love you and, and serve you and encourage you. That's what brings me joy. But there's so many people in the church saying, what? I go to church so you can love me, serve me, encourage me, feed me, meet my all my needs. And that's not the way the church is. The church is for one another, not for us so much. But out of that, we will feel that love. So I want you to go to church with this perspective. How can I encourage people? I'm going to Sunday to gather with my church, and I'm going to meet together with other followers of Christ in this local church that I'm part of. How can I pray for them? How could I build them up? How can I stir them one another to love and good works? How could I help them grow in their relationship with Jesus? That's what we're called to do. So what do you think will happen when an entire community of people gathers regularly with that in mind? It will be a powerful church. Why? Because it's a loving church. Why? Because it's a serving church. Why? Because it's an encouraging church. That's why we regather. For many years, Henrietta Mears served as a director of Christian education at the Hollywood Presbyterian Church. God gave her a powerful insight into human nature. These are her words. Whenever I meet a new person, I imagine them wearing a sign across their chest which reads, My name is blank. Please help me feel important. If you look at someone right now, that's what they have in their chest. And their heart says, please help me feel important. Can you imagine if you actually go to that person and you're going to help them feel important? How good they will feel? I mean, we want to be a church that when people leave this place, that they will feel important. That they will feel love, serve, and encourage. Because that's what we're commanded to do. The writer adds on, and all the more, meaning we are to do this constantly. We're to grow more and more, meaning we're to keep on going. We're not, we can't stop. Paul's prayer in Philippians 1.9 to the Philippian church, he said, And this is my prayer, that your love will flourish, and that you will only love much, but well. Learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not sentimental gush. So let's live to help others grow in their relationship with God. Stir them up towards love and good works. We meet with each other and we encourage one another in, in, in the faith. And then it comes to incentive, which is our last point, the incentive. Whether we like it or not, our life is short. Since life is short, this is all we're going to have. So in, 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 in this short life that we live, would we decide this morning to say, in my life, I will choose to love others. I, I will choose to serve others. I will choose to encourage others. Why? Because the day is drawing near. The day when the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. And the, 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 then the heavens will pass away with terrible noise. And the very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. One day God will destroy this world. And create a new one. We only have this world to love, serve, and encourage. So let's do it. We don't have that much time. 
You know, Titus calls this day the, the blessed hope. We will need this truth more and more as our world hurdles headlong into the abyss of God's judgment. Dark days are coming, and as the darkness falls, we must become great encouragers. We can do it because we know that after the darkness comes, the dawn of the new age when Jesus himself returns to the earth. If you believe that, then you can encourage those around you no matter what happens. Here's the great thing. God has given us, again, opportunity to regather. Let's be different. Let's be a different church. Let's be a church that when people will come and, and not even when you come, that, that you will walk away from this place and you could say, I was loved and I was served and I was encouraged. We don't have that enough in our world. Our world does the opposite. Why do you think the church is essential? Because it's essential for our spiritual health. Why is it the present day is an essential business? Because it's needed. How many of you are here and need, just needed to, to be here? How many of you just needed to sing? Right? How many of you just needed to stop watching me on television? How many of you just need to stop that? Right? How many of you guys need to stop this editing blunder that we have every week? Right? How many of you guys need to just stop? Because we're made to regather. We're made to gather together so we could love, serve, and encourage one another. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray for this church that I have the privilege of pastoring in the Chino Valley area. God, I pray that Watermark Fellowship Church would stir up one another to love and good works. That we would encourage one another in Christ every time we gather together. I pray for this for followers of Christ who are listening to this right now. God, I pray for love and good works to flow from this church because of what has been made possible for us in Christ. God, help us to meet together regularly. Help us not to treat Sunday casually. and Help us not to make it a matter of convenience, but a matter of priority in our lives. God, make our church what you desire for us to be, a Hebrews 10, 24, 24 and 25 kind of church, based on the privilege you have given every single one of us in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.